0: These days, me and Superman are gonna have a meeting. I'm gonna figure out how he changes so quickly because I can't even get a mic on in time. Uh so but that's okay. Um, you know, the the great thing about being a part of the church and the family of God uh is that we know that we all have flaws and that we're not perfect. And there are many things in our life uh, that we're still working on, and so we're gonna we're gonna look today. If, if you've been traveling along with us, uh, we started a new series last Sunday uh, in uh, the letter uh, of Perse- First Peter, and so um, and it it is a letter. It's it's a, we call it an epistle, uh, and there are several reasons. One of those is epistles were written uh, to the. Uh, uh, to the entire church, uh, so they were meant uh, to be uh, read. Many times, a lot of epistles actually talk more like sermon. It's more like it's something that's, that's being preached to us. And so, uh, man, I, I'm looking forward to especially today's text. So there are a couple of places in 1 Peter where he's going to deviate just a little bit, and he's going to remind us first who we are, and, and then he reminds us of what place we have in the kingdom of God. And, and so this morning, he's going to talk about not only our minds, okay, how, to, how, do we, how do we get our minds ready? How do we prepare, you know, for all the things that God has for us? But he's also going to talk about our eternity. What, are, what, are, what is happening with that? How are we getting ready for eternity while we live here on this earth? So I invite you this morning, if you have your Bibles, open to the book of First Peter and I hope you do. If you're home, find a Bible or Bible app, and let's open there. We're going to begin in verses uh, 13 uh, through 21 uh, this morning. So let me pray for us as we begin this morning. Father God, I just pray that you open our hearts, our lives, our minds, God, our spirits to you, to the eternal God who was and is and is to come and who is holy in every way, and that we wouldn't step back, we wouldn't draw back God we wouldn't deteriorate from your call father but we would press on father with a great uh a great power that only comes through you I thank you this morning that you've given us your word father I pray it would be a light unto our path a lamp unto our feet father that we'd hide its word in our hearts that we might not sin against you and all God's people said amen Look here this morning in verse 13, and we're going to take this just a little piece at a time. Let me read the first verse here. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so several things. We'll come back in a minute to therefore, but anytime you see therefore in Scripture, just give you a little hint, you need to ask the question, what's it there for? Okay, because it, it is there for a reason. That's a, that's a imperative kind of blending of two thoughts together. If you know English, and I'm not an English major, by the way, but I do know anytime you see therefore, you need to listen to what comes next. So what, it, what, it, what Peter's doing is he's tying two thoughts together. So if you look right above that in verses 12, okay, and, and, and up even above that in 10 and 11, he talks about the prophets. He said, did not the prophets go through all of these things to make sure you had the gospel, to make sure you could have the word of God today? And so now he's saying, okay, now you have the gospel, you have the word, what are you doing with it? And so, so he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Okay, well, What does that mean to prepare our minds for action? Well, I think living in light of Christ's return calls for a life of obedience and I don't know if you noticed in scripture over and over again he calls for a life of obedience he calls us to be obedience and then he draws us in and so the first kind of imperative statement he gives us this morning which he gave us last week is hope he said set Uh, He said, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the eternal hope that's to come, right? Anytime in Scripture, if you see revelation of Christ or revealing of Christ, that means when he comes back. Okay, when Jesus returns in all of his glory. And so there's also another idea there, literally, okay, when it says to set your minds, it's girding up your minds. It's like girding up your loins. We'll talk about that in a minute. It sounds kind of like a crude thing, right? But we need to gird up our minds. And so the big idea for us this morning is it's time to gird up the loins of your mind, right? It's time to get your mind ready for action. What do you think of when you think getting your mind ready for action? Um, In the Bible, we read about how the Israelites were to love God wholeheartedly with everything they are. Okay? But it wasn't only that, it was a way of life. In fact, to know him intimately and to desire him is in the Pentateuch, okay, which is the first five books of the Bible, which you, as you divulge those open, he establishes a command, and it's rooted in his identity, mutual relationship between himself and his people. So he chose the people for himself. God calls us the same way today. I mean, he chooses us, he calls us, he chooses to have a relationship with us. Not because he has to. I think sometimes we think God is setting up there a needy God that he somehow is wringing his hands because he needs us in some way. We want that sometimes. We want God to need us, to want us, okay? But God doesn't need anything. He is the uncreated God. He doesn't need anything from you, okay? And, and so to understand that, we understand that God desires us to be consumed by Him. So I would ask you this this morning. How are you consumed by God? Does it, I mean, your every waking thought, is it consumed by God? So in the movie, the man who invented Christmas, Charles Dickinson, is facing financial hardship after a failure of his last book, Oliver Twist. And so in the movie... In, by the way, it's a really dull, boring movie. Don't go watch it, okay? But it, it, it goes through the end of his life as he's written all of these great movies or books, right? They, they end up being movies. But in this, he has everything spread out all over his office, and he is constantly talking about this story with his family. And the story that kind of resurrected, okay, his career and everything we know as A Christmas Carol which is probably, I mean, it's done every Christmas. I think every actor somewhere has played in A Christmas Carol because they keep remaking it over and over again. But as he's thinking about this, he's consumed by it. I mean, he talks to his family about it. He talks to his kids about it. He talks to everybody he sees. Is that the way it is with our relationship with God? I mean, are we consumed by God? And so we have, he says, a great hope. We found that out last week. Look back up at verse 3. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Okay, And that living hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So so there are three things we learned this morning. The first one is your hope is a call to, to be ready. So get your track shoes on. Get the track shoes of your mind on. It is a call for you to get ready. Why do you think we get together every Sunday? Why don't we go to Bible study? Why don't we talk about God? Why don't we read our Bible? It is all preparation. You are in preparation. Um, so uh, I talked about this morning on my drive-in vlog, I talked about discipleship. We are all called to be disciples of Christ. That is a learner. You don't stop learning. And so Peter doesn't intend for his readers just to sit back and bask in the glow of their privilege calling out, right? He doesn't expect you to just sit back, man, I'm a Christian. I got Jesus. I'm called. And just sit back and, and rest on your laurels, Okay. He expects us to always be moving forward, and so Peter commands his on, uh, audience to hope. Hope is based on the graces brought about by Jesus Christ. So we hope in something we can't see. Um, so when we read the last week about being born into a living hope, okay, being born into a, a living relationship, so, so the imperative of Christians is living always begins with therefore, okay so so therefore do this and so the understanding is that god has done for us what we can't do for ourselves so so this is the bigger picture okay as we proceed forward is that god was saving us before we knew knew we needed saving god was redeeming you before you knew you need to be redeemed have you always noticed god is always working before we catch on to it (laughs) he's always doing something before we figure it out and we're like oh that's what you're doing god That's why I was going through that. That's why all of these things were taking place. So hoping Christians cannot live careless lives. We can't live carelessly. Preparing your minds for action. If there's one thing that you get or understand as a Christian, it better be that one. If you don't understand or prepare your minds for action, then you're literally going to come in and just check out on Sunday. You're going to read your Bible, and you're just going to check out. You're going to leave your brain in the parking lot, right? So the term, gird up your loins, man, I love this picture. All right, man, I know it's, it's not hip and cool today to wear a dress. Well, depends on where you're at, but shouldn't be, okay? And, and so the, the, they, they wore long robes, right? And literally, to gird up your loins means they would take them, and they would wrap them between their legs and tie it around their waist, and then, man, I'm fixing to go do something. And so you'd see fishermen along the shore of Galilee. They would have their, they gird up their loins. They would have their, their, their robe tied around their waist because they're ready to do something. And so when, when Peter says, prepare your minds for action, that's what he's talking about. It's a picture of a man in a long robe girding it up. And he's ready to get busy, he's ready to do something for God. And then there's the expression, set your hope fully. Look at that word, fully, not just part way. We don't just kind of hope in God. The the pervasive idea in our culture and our world today is I just hope it all works out in the end. I hope I get to to heaven one day and and it just all works out for me. But see, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you don't have a wishful thinking hope. You don't have just a, a, a gushy feeling hope. You have a resolved hope. See, again, Peter reminds us of every present object of our hope. So we fix our gaze on Christ, okay, the author and perfecter of that hope, and then we're ready. And then he says, be sober-minded. What do you think of being sober? Well, in the English vernacular, English language, it has to do with, with sobering up. You know, uh, If you're intoxicated with alcohol, to be sober-minded means to think clearly. Okay, If you're intoxicated, you're not seeing things clearly. You're not thinking clearly. So this clarifies how believers are the hope. We're to hope with a clear mind. What does a clear mind do? What does a clear mind do? Well, first, a clear mind understands that it has to be self-controlled and it has to read this book. And it has to be careful how you wield the Word of God. See, see, the word in here, lens that we look through things for, through is different than the rest of the world. I always tell, um, anytime I go on the mission field, and i take a group of missionaries or students or some on mission, I always tell them, I said, you have to take the lenses that you've always seen the world through off. You've got, you got to put your spiritual lenses on. You've got to see the world as God sees it. See, that's what it means to get our minds ready. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 8, Uh, Paul says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So this is what being sober-minded means, right? We are not in the dark. We're in the light. We have stepped into the glorious light of the living God. We are living in a period today where the world needs light, unlike any other time in the history of our world. Amen? Do you believe that? I mean, I do, because we see it all around us. But we're also, I believe, living in a period in church history that that can be classified as a mindless age. People today have pretty much literally checked out with their minds. They leave their minds in the parking lot. Many of us leave our minds at home when we come to church, when we go to Bible study. See, it's the old expression of being still while you instill. I'm just coming. Just give me the facts, and 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 I'm gonna be still while you instill. Well, that's not that's not a part of this relationship between you and God, right? So each one of you, if you're a believer, you have the Spirit living inside of you. So He prompts you, and and you should at times ask questions. See, the individual who sometimes responds, um, well, I feel like it, like sometimes I'll I'll be in Bible study. Um, community group don't freak out if any of you have ever said this okay it's okay I've said this too okay Uh, but at times in Bible study we'll say well um, the passage we just read okay what what is that talking about what what do you think that means and most of us tend to say we'll stop well I feel like it says this no I didn't ask what you feel (laughs) it doesn't matter what you feel what does the Bible say well, I mean, I think sometimes we rest so much on feelings that um, we just let our feelings override our mind, right? And so, when you became a Christian, you don't detach your mind. In fact, in Romans twelve two, what does it say? It says that you're to be conformed, okay, or be transformed, not conformed. That'd be horrible. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the world. We have to have a transformed mind. So thinking is done by the mind, and Christians are called to repeatedly in Scripture think. Use your mind. Use the glorious mind God has given you as obedient children. Hoping Christians are nonconformist. So look at the next part. It's in verse 14. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all your conduct. So hoping Christians are nonconformist. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit, is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. So we once lived this way, and this is the key, body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay? But you're not that way anymore. We think differently. We, you should. See, some nonconformists do this in, in a superficial way. Um, they say, I'm going to be a nonconformist. So, we had, when I was growing up in Hobbs, New Mexico, we had an Amish community that lived outside of Hobbes, and every once in a while, they would, they would come into town in their buggies, right, all wearing the same drab clothes, they had no electricity, okay, no electronics of any kind, you know, they grew most of their own own food and stuff, and everybody sees that and says, man, that's dedication, that is awesome, that, that's not what this verse means about not conforming, OK, because the, the, the homes of, of, of these places, OK, they're, they're saying we just need to pull away from the world. Well, no, the Bible says we live in the world, right? The real world. It says be in the world, but not of the world. We affect the world with the light of the gospel. I mean, when Jesus was here on this earth, he didn't just hang out okay, with the religious crowd. He didn't just just try to pull himself away. In fact, he went out of his way to be with people who needed light. See, the non-conformity that we are called to practice is an ethical nonconformity. We're to practice the ethics that God sets out for the world in the Bible. Okay, so let me define this for you. There are two words, okay? One is ethics, and the other one is morals, okay? Now, you would think they're the same, right? They sound the same, but they're not, okay? Because sometimes we try to make Morals ethics. So what happens and and morals affect our ethics? Yes. Okay. So where do you get your moral values from? Where do most of us get them from? Home, mom, dad, how we're raised, right? The people we we associate with. Okay. A lot of times affect our moral values. Okay. Our fiber. There there are many things I learned growing up uh, as a child that I still hold today i don't know if you've ever done anything and you're like man i sound so much like my dad or I sound so much like my mom you know because the, i mean they affect you you don't know it but those morals and those values affect you well this is what society would say society and even social sociologists would say that your morals can change dictated by the culture we live in so morals that used to not be normal okay now, now stay with me this is where Gets difficult. Become the norm. Okay, they become the norm, and and so so the the term morals came from a concept called mores, m o r e s. Sociologists and historian examined the behavioral patterns as given in culture that describe how people act which are the morals they are given by their society. Study also talks about ethics. Ethics, however, is the study of normative principles of behavior that tell us how we should behave. So our ethics tell us how we should behave, but our morals are just going and doing it. Okay? Now, I mean, stick with me just for a minute. Okay? Because psychologists also observe human behavior. And they discover that 90% And I hope this opens your eyes. 90% of young people, especially those in their older teen years, are involved in premarital sex. Since such a high percentage do this, now it has become normative as a moral in our culture. So they will say, "You're, you're crazy if you don't. You're, you're wrong if you don't. You see how that, that, that affects things? So our morals change to meet the col- or It shouldn't, but it does. People say it is a good normal. Have you ever heard that? It's a good normal. It's good that that's changed. It's good that that's accepted now. And so you, th- there's some psychologists that would even say that it's perfectly normal and common for teens under the pressure of erotic culture and society we live in to engage in premarital sex. Every parent in here, that should just, and you should wake up. You should be like, what? Really? That, that, that's what the, the culture says? It does. But on the other hand, the Bible says that there shouldn't even be listed any fornication or premarital sex among you. It shouldn't even be listed. So here's the oldest argument in the world that we give all the time. Trust me, I did. My kids did. Everyone's doing it. Have you ever heard that before? Sure. Mom and dad, if you have teenagers, you probably have. Everybody's doing it. Well, I'll I'll give you the thing that that we always told our kids. You're not everybody. (laughs) I don't care. You're not everybody. Do you know that's what the Bible tells us Christians? You're not everybody. You're a child of the king. You're different. The Bible says you're called out you're set apart he is concerned about what we are doing as a child of the king right so you're either a child of disobedience or a child of obedience so back to the text that's why he says don't conform to your former passions when you were in ignorance now you know see there is no middle ground when it comes to disobedience with God you're either obedient or you're not I'm either obedient or I'm not Okay, I either fall in line with the scripture or I don't. So, so let's take this discussion a step further. A recent poll measured the sexual behavior of Americans indicating that premarital sex is more prevalent among young people who claim to be born-again Christians. Whoa, that, that should even make our ears peek a little more. Why? Well, how is this possible? Well, this is possible because Christians confuse ethics with morals. They confuse the two. It, it, they, they, even though they, they may feel like they're free to do those things because they're saved. They know Jesus, and that's a completely opposite way we should be looking at it because our, our Christian ethics tell us we shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. See, if, if you gird up your loins, the loins of your mind, then we're able to discern the different patterns of this world. We're able to discern right and wrong ethics and morals see the only way you can be in christ is to be holy and and so this next text and this this scares many believers is when peter says um he who called you is holy so you also should be holy in all of your conduct you should be holy in all of your conduct so if you're a Christian." You've been reborn into a relationship by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God expects our behaviors to change. And part of that is being holy as he is holy. See, see it's horrible that, that the civil magistrate today or the government today would say the normative for our culture is that abortion on demand should be a law. It should be okay for us to do that. It should be all right. But for us as Christians, our ethical obligation is say no, that's wrong. That is not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that every life is uniquely created in the image of God, and the Mago gave God is something we take very seriously. When Justin Martyr uh, was being martyred for his faith, this is what he said in his apology that he gave or his defense. And he gave this to Emperor Antonius. Pious, he sought to defend the truth claims of Christianity. He said not only did he give the normal arguments for the truth claims of Christianity, but he also challenged the emperor to examine the lives of Christians and to observe their purity. Well, I wonder if today we could do that. If we could tell people examine the lives of Christians, examine their purity, examine the test. I I fear what people will find. I fear what they would see in our lives. See, the second thing is your holiness is a call to be different. It's called to be different. And in being different, we imitate Christ because he is the difference. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says we are to be imitators of Christ. We're to be imitators of Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, it says that you're to set your minds fully on him. See, Peter calls his audience to embrace their calling by being holy. So he says, be holy as as I am holy. And then he says, and and then he goes on to say, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him, a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So in in an adapted excerpt from his book, Yawnings at Tiger's, Um, drew dyke writes this he says the cruel irony of choosing god's love over his holiness is that we end up losing both the affection of a familiar buddy deity isn't worth much only the love of the lord of heaven and earth who dwells in unapproachable light is truly awe-inspiring When we lose sight of God's greatness, his love loses meaning. Stick with me. Perhaps this is why we write more songs uh, in our Christian world that are around emotional feelings of love than true affection for a holy and a righteous God. Think about that for a minute. I'm sorry. um, God is not my homeboy. (laughs) He's he's not my co-pilot okay he's not i'm a, called a friend of god but see i think that word friend i think we mess that up because we treat him sometimes like like he's just our buddy he's god and he is holy and the bible says that over and over and over again but what do we do we try to humanize god we try to bring him down on our level we try to make god like us I mean, there was a song, I don't know, It's back in the 60s or 70s, it says, if God were, you know, if, if Jesus were one of us, you know, a slob like one of us. Well, no, he's not. He is the son of the living God, and he is holy in every way. You, everybody needs to go today and read Isaiah chapter 6. The vision that he had of being in the throne room of God, where he's seeing all the cherubim and seraphim around the throne of God, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you remember that scene? What happened? Isaiah fell face down, prostrate before God. He said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from an unclean people. I can't even look on your holiness. See, sometimes we see God as the permissive parent. Yeah. This how many people view God, right? Well, look what he says about his justice and his judgment. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges, and you better be thankful of this, impartially. What does that mean to be an impartial judge? Does anybody feel in this world culture today that anybody can get an impartial judgment? No, we can't, because we're all flawed. There's going to be no perfect judgment. I don't, matter, I don't care what court you go to. There's not an impartial justice system that sets over us. But when he says that God judges impartially, he judges according to your deeds, who you are, right? How, how obedient you are or how disobedient you are. And he's the only one that can judge perfectly because he's got it down perfectly. He's the one that invented you. He's the one who created you. And, and then he goes on to say, he says that, that your conduct Throughout this time in your exile, and we'll talk about that in a minute, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways of, that you once thought, feudal inheritance. So people call this different things. Some call it backsliding, some call it falling back into sin. But what God calls it, He defines the difference between pursuing holiness, okay, and pursuing this world. So, so the very character and nature of God is holy. So holy Christians are set apart. Okay, I want you to get that. Holy Christians are set apart. Okay, So you are different. So if my kid were to come to me today and said, well, Dad, everybody's doing it, I would be right. saying, you're not everybody. As a child of the king, you are set apart. See, Peter's epistle is, is on the basis of nonconformity. How would, the, how would the world be different? Let me ask you this question. How would the world be different today if um, the journey church disappeared and no longer existed? It just wasn't here. I mean, it just just ceased to exist. Would there be a difference made in the world? Would we notice a difference in our community? Would we notice a difference at all? See, those people who heard the word of God and decided to follow him, the, the Peter's talking to here, are being persecuted for their faith immensely, Okay? And for them, it is a life and death sentence. But I wonder sometimes, would anything be different in our world if the Journey Church weren't here? I, I would pray and hope yes, <laughs> that, that there would be a noticeable effect. See, holy Christians want to please their Father. And I think we miss this over and over again. Why do I love God? Why am I obedient? Why, do, why don't I give my life to Him? Because I want Him to be proud of me, right? I mean, I hope your children want you to be proud of them, mom and dad, right? Well, what does your kid do when, when they get a good grade on a paper or something's going right in their life? What's the first thing they want to do? Hey, look at this. I want you to be proud of them. I want you to be proud of them. I don't, I don't even know why I did it. I mean, I'm like 50-something years old, and uh, so I got one of my first real papers I was really proud of back in school right and I get a good grade on it what's the first thing I do I text my dad say hey dad guess what why did I do that I mean I'm like dude I'm not in grade school anymore right but somewhere down deep inside I wanted his approval I want him to be proud of me I knew he's proud of me see the father who rewards his children according to their obedience does it impartially we should do it because we want to please him See, when the Apostle Paul gave similar admonition and called us not to be conformed to this world, he said we are to be present okay, in the world. We are to be present bodies in the world, but we're also to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We are to be a living example of what Christ is like. And so this is the last one, number three. Your residential status is temporary, so conduct yourself as as the imperishable look what he says he says your exile your time of exile you're going to hear him say that several times in first peter you are living here okay as an exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile way of inheritance from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver and gold but with the precious blood of jesus christ like the lamb without blemish or spot so so what does that mean for us Well, if you've ever lived in a foreign country or somewhere for any amount of time, what do you miss the most? You miss home. I mean, we lived, our family lived two, two and a half years in Okinawa, Japan. Seemed like a lifetime as we're living there. And we had our little Japanese apartment out in town. You know, little tatami mats and cool little Japanese stove that you couldn't cook a christmas turkey in and you know really ridiculous water heater thing you had to go turn on to get on demand of hot water and really crazy spiders on our balcony and things that could kill you and you know we lived there and we loved it it was a great experience but where did we want to be i wanted to be home that was not my home i didn't want to i didn't want to just hang out and stay there see that's what peter is saying he says temporary residents know where they are heading you know where you're going You know this in your home. So he says, live that way. Are you living as a child of the king? He says, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear and trembling before God. This isn't a cowering, oh my gosh, God's going to strike me today dead. This is honoring of God with your obedience. And the fear that we have for God isn't being struck dead, but it's that we would disappoint him that we wouldn't live obedient lives. Would you go through the pain, moms in here this morning, of childbirth all over again, if it meant at the end of it you had the beautiful child that you held in your arm? Every mom in here is like, yes, I, I think. I don't know, I've never had a child, so <laughs> maybe you would say no. But I would hope you'd say yes. Why? Because you went through that whole process. So you read Romans 8. Romans 8 says that that the church is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. He's talking about our longing for the kingdom of God. He's saying we're in this painful state now, but the great privilege we have is to call Him Father. And it only comes once we understand that this is not our home. This isn't your residence. See, temporary residents know what it costs to get them there as well. And this is where we're in this morning. Look at verse 19. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The literal expression of this is the Paschal Lamb of God or the Passover Lamb of God. Um, so we speak of many times of gems as being something of high quality and value. See, people hold them in high value today. But Peter is telling us that the most precious, most valued thing here on this earth, it doesn't hold a candle to God doesn't hold a candle to the most precious thing you've been given through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Peter is talking about the spotless lamb, right? So Peter is now taking us all the way back to the Old Testament. So you remember before they had their exodus, right, out, out, of, out of bondage and out of slavery, the last plague that was sent on Egypt was every firstborn would die unless they had the lamb blood smeared on the doorpost. And everywhere that that blood was smeared on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over their house. And now there's a, there's a celebration every year, Yom Kippur. It's a celebration of being passed over, that the angel of death passed over their house. And so today when we talk about the Lamb of God, we're talking about how our sins, while it deserves death, He gives us grace. Our sins, while it deserves eternal separation from God, He calls us friend. I, I mean, to understand that one day at the atonement okay, of Christ, when we're standing before the throne of God, that that Lamb of God is the only thing that covers us completely and covers our sins. See, it's time for us, church. It's time to gird up the loins of your mind. It's time to get serious about this business of living out what God has called us to live as His beloved children. If you go over to Scotland or, or anywhere where there's lots of sheep, sooner or later, I, I'm told, um, you're going to see a very unusual sight. You'll see a little lamb running around the field, and you'll notice the lamb has what looks like an extra fleece tied to its back. Kind of a bizarre thing. In fact, you'll see there there are little holes in the fleece for the four legs. And usually a hole for its head. And if you see a little lamb running around like that, that means that his mother has recently died. And without protection and nourishment of a mother, the orphan lamb will surely soon die. If you take the orphan lamb and you try to introduce him to another mother, the new mother will just butt him away. Won't accept him. She won't recognize the lamb's scent and will know that the new baby is not one of her own lambs. But thankfully, most flocks are large enough that that there's a ewe who has recently lost a lamb. And so the shepherd will skin the dead lamb and he'll make a fleece into a covering for the orphan lamb. And then he'll take the orphan lamb from the mother whose baby is just lost. And And then he'll have that lamb's cloak, that lamb's wool. And as the mother comes up and begins to sniff at the lamb, she'll now know it's one of her own. She'll no longer butt the lamb away, but she'll accept it. See, in a similar way, we have become acceptable to God by being clothed with Christ. It's literally what that means, to be redeemed. You, the perishable, have now been clothed with the imperishable. You are now girding up your loins of your mind because you know you're a child of God. Not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. And he wants to to give you eternal life today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. God, in your infinite wisdom and grace and mercy, you didn't leave us dead in our sins. and Father, we know much like the lamb who at one time was a stranger and not accepted by you, That you, Father, have now clothed us in your righteousness, your wholeness, your holiness, Father. Father, even though it seems like an insurmountable task to be holy, as you're holy, Father, we want to please you in every way. And so, Father, I pray that now we would begin to live our lives, God, with a mind that is ready for action. That we wouldn't look like the rest of the world, Father. That we would understand that we are called not to conform to the world. Called to be a child of the King, so that everyone in this exile state, Father, sees you in us. That will have the mind of Christ. That will be guiding our thoughts and our hearts and our minds this morning. And Father, I, I pray if there's one out there this morning, whether listening online or right here this morning, Father, that doesn't know that kind of grace, that doesn't know that kind of mercy, that continues to do so many things to be acceptable to you, and you say. You're already acceptable because of the land that was slain from the foundations of the earth. And you offer us a free gift of eternal life today through that sacrifice. We love you, Father, and we praise you. We pray all these things in your most holy and powerful name we pray, amen. So I don't know where